mind, Parsha uh, Shmot and Va'era go together, and uh, the topic that we're going to discuss is um, really a, a bridge between Moshe Rabbeinu's lack of leadership and his assuming leadership. So you see that the Sukim here at the top of the page, which are the Parsha Va'era, the second Parsha of, uh, of Shmot, this is usually the inter- introduction uh, to uh, mitzvot, to commands, to directives that have to be fulfilled. Bo, daber paro melech mitzrayim, v'yishalachet b'nei Yisrael me'artso. Now one could, I mean, the translation of course, Come, speak to Paro, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, v'yishalachet b'nei Yisrael me'artso. It sounds like what's going to cause the exodus from Mitzrayim is that Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to Paro. That somehow the speaking itself is magical and it will produce a certain result. Or it could mean go talk to Paro Melch Mitzrayim and Hashem will, will get them out of Mitzrayim. It's not so much the speaking that gets them out of Mitzrayim, but it's Hashem that gets them out of Mitzrayim. Okay, we'll leave that as a question. And Moshe Rabbeinu responds. Um, responds, what's he, what's he going to say? I already spoke to Bnei Yisrael and I told them that they were going to leave Mitzrayim but they didn't believe me and they complained and they said you Moshe Rabbeinu made things worse for us since you showed up the end, the end of the previous parasha the parasha of Shemot since you showed up uh, we have to work harder we have to collect our own straw we have to do everything is worse they didn't listen to me. They didn't believe, or lo shamuay lai, could either mean they didn't understand me, or they didn't accept what I said. So if Bnei Yisrael didn't listen to what I said, when I was coming to give them this optimistic directive, yo, you're going to be free, that's pretty optimistic, lo shamuay lai, so what's the point of going to speak to Paro? And then an additional clause. I don't know what that means, but you know that the word orla, as Rashi explained several times in the Fumash, is a covering, something that covers up uh, 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 something that covers up something natural in the physiology of the of the person that covers something up, and so the neviim the neviim called a lack of, uh, of of ability to weigh in on a spiritual level with a kodesh baruchu or a lot lathe. It's as though your heart is covered up in some way that prevents you from being, from connecting, from connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's Orlat Leh. So he says, 
I, I can't speak clearly, I guess. I mean, I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know exactly what the pasuk means. But I can, I can take a guess and say that Moshe Rabbeinu was complaining that he was unable to speak clearly. There was something covering up his speech. Right? We know the Chazal say that Moshe Rabbeinu, like, remember the coal, the burning coal, his mouth, that he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't speak. So these are the psukim. These are the psukim that, uh, that we're looking at. So, Echish Ma'eni Paro, Rashi says an interesting thing. Rashi says, Ze Echad Me'asara Kal V'chomer Torah. Now, what's a Kal V'chomer? It's important to know. What's a Kal V'chomer? It's a logical inference. When I say it's a logical inference, I mean that it makes sense. It's logical. That's what the word logical means when I'm using it. I'm using it in the, in the sense that it makes sense. If it's true that B'nai Yisrael didn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu, so it's certainly prob- it's probably true that Tara won't listen. That's called the Kal- Akal V'chomer. Now the Kal V'chomer is one of the Yud Gimel Midot Shatoran and Reshet Bahem, according to Rabbi Yishmael, something that appears in, in, in every Sidur, in every regular, regular Sidur. Right at the end of the section before Psuche de Zimra, which includes Brachot, Birkata Torah, we say Birkata Torah every morning, and then the, the Siddur gives you a little, uh, uh, like a perk, and it says, Here's a little Torah that you could learn. So there's a little bit of Chumash, a little bit of Mishnah, and then it ends with this, with this Brighter of Rabbi Ishmael. Right, which is the bright of Yud Gimel Midot Torah Nidreshet Bahem, so that if you make the bracha, if you make the bracha, and then you, uh, uh, if you make you make the bracha, Birkata Torah, and then you kind of go through what's in the Siddur, you've actually done the mitzvah. Even though you don't have to learn Torah exactly when you do. Birkata Torah, right? You don't have to, you could wait, you could do it, you could learn the Torah later on. But since uh, people are busy and it's hard for them to, uh, to do what they're supposed to do, so here's the city, it gives it to you, like it's a present. You can learn a little Torah and you've accomplished the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. That's what the, that's what the, the Siddur says. Now the Yud Gimel Midocha Torah, Nidreshet Bahem, they have names. These Yud Gimel Midot. I always tell everybody if you want to know what the Yud Gimel Midot are, look in the Art Scroll Sitter. The Art Scroll Sitter, I never, never compliment them. But the Art Scroll Sitter has examples of each of the Yud Gimel Midot, which make it a little bit easier to understand. What I want you to know, though, is that 12 of the 13 Yud of Midot don't make any sense. They are without sense, which means that you could never figure it out on your own. The Gemara says, Kicha, Kicha, Mistei Ephron. Well, the Gemara is the beginning of Kedushin. It says that the word Kach, to take, appears in two places in the Torah. One is in the purchase of the Marat HaMachpelah, right? Kach Mimeni. And then when a, a, a man marries a woman, the language of the Gemara is ki ish isha. 
And therefore, the Gemara says, how does a man marry a woman? He pays. Right? Isn't that true? Isn't it true that that's how you get married? Right? You pay. I mean, I don't mean the larger payment. I mean the, the small payment that you make under the chuppah. Now, I would defy anybody to come up with a sensible analysis of that Gzeira Shabbat, because well, what sense is there in comparing the, the, the uh, bill, buying the Maratha Machpelah to getting married? I mean, this is about death and this is about life. You, know, you, could, you could find a lot of ways of thinking that this is, doesn't make any sense, doesn't make any sense at all. And therefore, why is it that we think highly of the Gzeira Shabbat, for example. So why do we like it? Why do we accept it? Why do we act accordingly? Because it's a tradition. It was whoever said, Kicha, Kicha, Bistei Ephron, he knew that it was right. <coughs> I see that I've got all the deep end here. It's what Moshe Rabbeinu taught them. Moshe Rabbeinu said, this is how you get married. You give the kala something. And then somebody said, oh, kicha, kicha, misnei afrod. It makes a lot of sense. But if you know the answer, when it comes to kalva chomer, it's different. A kalva chomer is logical. Logical means that anybody can do a kalva chomer. Anybody can make a, You can't make up a kzera shavah. I mean, no one would pay attention to you. If you came and said, oh, here's a great, I just thought of a great Gzeir HaShavah, you, you know, you're out of business. But if you say, Kalva Chomer, you're in business. The only thing is that the Gemara, I think in its wisdom, there's even wisdom in the Gemara. I didn't write that book, but there is wisdom in the Gemara. It's, it says, Ein on Shim Mihadim. That's what the Gemara says many times. You do not punish because of Kalvachomer. So that if you say A is Osir, so A plus is certainly Osir, so that's good, I accept that. But you can't say that if the punishment for A is Malkot, for example, stripes, you know, you beat somebody, then the punishment for A plus has to also be stripes. Why? Why not? Because it's logical. And the Chachamim already knew that logic is a variable. It's very rare that your logic is so powerful that you can't ever expect a challenge. Logic can be challenged. Tradition cannot be challenged. In other words, if you say, I thought of it, so then somebody else might come along and say, look, I think better than you do. And therefore, I don't like what you thought. But if you say, I learned this from my Rebbe, who learned it ultimately from Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't attack it. So here, here Rashi says, And therefore, this Kalvachoma should teach us something. We should be able to learn something from this Kalvachoma. Let's go on. We, we don't know what it is yet. Aral Svatayim, Atum Svatayim, Vichain Kola Shon Orla. 
He says it's covered up. It's it's kolashon uh, arela. That's what the word arel or arela means. Ani omer shehu atum arlat oznam atuma mashma aralei leiv atumim mehavin. So all of these psukim. Rashi goes out and quotes a whole uh, uh, list of psukim where the word arel is used and it means to cover something up. Right? You see this pasuk in uh, Vayikra that he quotes at the end. Shehigid atum umechuseba Vayikra varautem arlato asulo otem make for him a covering and cover him up cover it up with uh, with something forbidden three years it will be covered up or prevented we're talking about Orla right the Orla the fruit of the tree for the first three years, which are asur, so Rashi says asulo oten v'chisui isur. Right, you cover it up and you you declare that it is forbidden. Sheyavdil b'fnei b'fnei achilato. This will be separated out the orla before he eats anything. Shaloshanim yelachem arelim. The first three years, they the fruit will be covered up, put away, right? Atum umechuse umuvdal mileechol. So now that we know what it means, what does aral svatayim mean? So what does aral svatayim mean? It was Rashi says in many different psukim that aral is the word orla which means to cover something up. And he quotes all the, the different, uh, different psukim. At the end, he says, that's the word, that's the word orla. Orla. That the fruit that grows on the tree, the fruit that grows on the tree is not edible, or it's not, we don't allow you to eat it for the first three years, right? And then Rashi says, Rashi says, them Orlato asulo otem bechisui isur that cover up this fruit sheyavdil bifnei achilato that everybody will know that you can't eat it shaloshadim yelachem arelim three years arelim atum umichuse umuvdal milachol so what does Rashi say how would you say I mean can you say something achat look at what Rashi says. That arelim is a word that describes something that is forbidden, something that cannot work. So when when Moshe Rabbeinu says ani arasvatayim, he may not be talking about a physical blemish. He's talking about something that cannot work, that that he cannot impose his opinion on. Uh, he can't impose his opinion on Paro that they have no way of communicating, that he's aroused for time. He, as far as Paro is concerned, 
they're in a different space, on a different realm, in a different, different matter. They can't speak to each other. So Rashi says, so, so, uh, so uh, uh, according to Rashi, if I'm correct, if I can make this kind of dream about what the pasuk means, what I call it, what what uh, what what he is saying, what he is saying is that lo means that they were not able to understand what I said. They thought, they thought that if they would think about leaving Egypt, they would think about escaping. If they would let on that they knew that something great was happening, they would just be punished. In, in other words, they were not able to grasp the profundity of Moshe Rabbeinu's directive. They, they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu came to tell them to start packing and to annoy the Egyptians and to make sure that they would understand that the end of their tenure had come. But that was apparently not the case. That was not the case, but that's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Moshe Rabbeinu says, look, I'm elevated beyond their capacity to understand. I was set aside by HaKadosh Baruch for the purpose, perhaps, of giving the Torah. And since the purpose of giving the Torah is somewhat exalted, it demanded a kind of step up for Moshe Rabbeinu. So what happened was, what happened was they, they couldn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand that, they, that Moshe Rabbeinu meant to say, you better be worthy of this. You better climb that mountain. You better be ready for Matan Torah. And then there will be Yitziat Mitzrayim. They thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was a kind of revolutionary who came to move things along, so to speak, and to change it, and so they didn't get it. They got the words. They understood the words, but they didn't understand the implications of the words. And therefore, he says, So Paro certainly won't understand what I'm saying. But Paro think I'm, I'm, I'm just an, a nudnik or an annoyance or somebody who comes to bother him and he'll make things even worse for the Jews. So why speak to Paro? Vani, yani I'm, I'm like set aside. I'm differentiated. I don't speak like everybody else. I speak like Moshe Rabbeinu who was at the snake. What can I do? I can't, I can't speak. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says. Now if we look at uh, if we look at the next uh, part of the Chumash, Shmot Perik Dalet, which is in the page of Shmot, we'll get, we'll get a little more kind of understanding. So with this insight that you get from the Rashi, on you can better understand what Moshe Rabbeinu said himself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu beforehand. B, he says, he, he's making a plea, a request, Lo ish divarim anochi, which now means, I'm not for idle chatter. I'm not for regular kind of communication. I'm, I'm already beyond that. I mean, I was at the snare. 
I saw the fire, I spoke to the angel, I spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm different. I'm not like anybody else. Gamitmo, Gamishulshom. Right? I'm different than I was two days ago or three days ago. I'm different. Gam me'azda berchal avdecha. Gam me'azda berchal avdecha. The experience of the snare changed who I am. I'm not any longer the conversationalist that I was before. Right? Kikvad peh ukvad lashon anochi. Now this parallels what is Kvad Pev Kvad Lashon? Well, you could take it literally as meaning Moshe Rabbeinu had some kind of physical deficiency, defect. It was hard to understand what he was saying. But on the other hand, on the other hand, we never heard of such a thing. Why would you say that? But Kvad Pev, Kvad Pev. It's heavy. My mouth is heavy. Kvad Lashon. My language is heavy. It's another way of saying people won't understand what I say. Not because, not because I don't want to be the Shaliach, but because the snare rendered me incommunicable. I'm not, I'm not able any longer to communicate. I can only communicate with people who understand me. Which is why Matan Torah had to take place for the entire nation simultaneously. It could not only take place for Moshe Rabbeinu, because if it, if it had taken place only for Moshe Rabbeinu, the people would never have understood what it was. They, had, they didn't have the capacity, they didn't have the capacity to understand that God could give a Torah. I mean, you could say those words. But that doesn't mean that you could recognize the event. It, it, it was, if there was this event that took place in history, there, were, there was uh, 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 fireworks and, and lights and noises and all these things are going on. So when do you get to the point that you say, on the one hand you can say, oh, it's noise, oh, it's fire, oh, it's fireworks, oh, it's, you, know, you say all of that, to the point where you say, it's God. I mean, how do you get from one point to the other. So I think that that telling the story, telling the story of the noise does not get you to God. Only standing at Har Sinai and confronting God in some way, that's all the people confronted God, that gets you to God. And then they knew there could be a Torah. And so they believed Moshe Rabbeinu. They believe Moshe Rabbeinu, he said all the time during the 40 years of the desert, here's another piece of Torah, another piece of Torah, another. So they believed Moshe Rabbeinu because they knew that it could be. They knew that it could be. We have difficulty, we have difficulty imagining that we could connect to something that couldn't be. I mean, or that we don't have any way of measuring. We don't have any way of measuring. So it's, oh, I saw a vision. You know, people say that all the time. But doesn't mean that they saw, really saw a vision. But here, B'nai Yisrael really saw a vision. So what I'm saying is that this pasuk, where Moshe Rabbeinu says, we could interpret it as meaning, I no longer speak in a way that is comprehensible to the people. And so why send me? Why send me? 
ויאמר השם אליו מי שם פה לאדם ומי יסום אלינו חירש ופיקח או עיוור הלא אנוכי השם ואתה לך ואנוכי עיין פיך ויראתיך אשר תדבר So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't worry. Just like I made you incomprehensible, I can make you comprehensible. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu. V'ata lech, pasuk yud bet. V'anokhe ayen bicha v'oreitiha asher t'dabar. You go, I will be with you. V'oreitiha asher t'dabar. What does that mean v'oreitiha asher t'dabar? I'll give him specific instructions. To say things that people will understand. That they will understand. What does that mean? I mean, of course, God gives him direction. And then he speaks. I mean, of course, I mean, you have to say that. That's the whole point. No, 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 but there's another point here. You will be comprehensible. That's what HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu. Which I will interpret as this, as follows. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want that. I don't want to be demoted from my exalted state where I am incomprehensible. I would rather be incomprehensible because incomprehensible meant a higher order of understanding. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, even though I know that you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, could make me comprehensible, which would be equal in some way to diminishing my stature, my status, which I achieved at the, at the snare, at the burning bush. He says, Let's send somebody else. Leave me be as I am, Moshe Rabbeinu says. Let me be as I was when I came away from the snare. Let me be with my greater understanding. Don't take that away from me. Don't take that away. There's a Navi pleading to maintain his status as a, as a Navi. And it was only Moshe Rabbeinu. It was only, well, not only Moshe Rabbeinu, but Naviim were usually comprehensible, but not... Look, Yirmiyahu Navi. I always say Yirmiyahu Navi prophesied in Yehuda for 40 years. 40 years, no one ever paid attention to him. Because they, they did not, they were not able to connect to the idea that he was a Navi. It wasn't the content that they couldn't connect to. They could connect to it. They said, okay, he says this, somebody else says something else. I mean, they were not able to distinguish. They were not able to distinguish between the Navi Emet, who is Yirmiyahu, and the Navi Sheker, who is Hananya Ben Azur. They couldn't, Hananya Ben Azur said, okay, maybe there'll be a, an exile. But it'll go on for two years. Yirmiyahu said there'll be an exile go on for 50 years. B, the people could not different distinguish. They couldn't distinguish between Yirmiyahu, who was a Nevi Emet, and Hananya Ben Azur, who was a Nevi Sheker. They had no way, they had no Kalim, they had no really Kalim to distinguish who they are. The Gemara says, the Gemara Sanhedrin says, the Hananya Ben Azur, how did he get to be a Nevi Sheker? How did he get to be a Nevi Sheker? Well, I mean, it's not enough to lie, because why would people pay attention to you? So you have to be so in the VMET. Yeah. You're fair, and then you become in the Vishaker. You could, but you have to. You have to have some credential. You have to, it ought to create confusion 
you have to have that. The people have to have some reason for paying attention to you. So that's called a Navi Sheker. That's called a Navi Sheker. So, so Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu said, was a Navi I met, spoke for 40 years about the Churban and nobody paid any attention to him. I'm exaggerating. There were probably were two or three people who paid attention. But I'm saying you know that the Churban take, took place. It wasn't like Yirmiyahu was able to stop it. And all he had to do to stop the Churban based on Migdash uh, uh, was to get people to recognize that it could happen. Once you know that it could happen, you'll try to fix it. He couldn't do that. They weren't able to do that. They threw him in jail. They treated him poorly. So he says, Shalachna biyatish, Shalachna Moshe Rabbeinu says, Shalachna biyatish, don't demote me. Don't limit my capacity to understand, which I have gained at the SNE. Um, but the whole point of being at the SNE was to, uh, was to instruct Moshe to go speak to the people. So now Moshe is saying, because I was at the SNE and I became elevated, now I don't want to do what my entire mission was in the first place. Yes. It seems kind of uh, a circular reasoning. Well, I don't know about that. Well, it could be like a like an understanding of, like Moshe Rabbeinu understood something. He understood something and therefore he acted accordingly. But let's just see another pasuk. Pasuk Yudalet Vayicharaf Hashem Moshe Vayom Vayomer Halo Aron Achicha Levi Yadati Ki Daber Yedaber Hu Vekam Hinehu Yosei Likratecha Veracha Vesamach Belibo So what is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was angry about. Probably exactly what Mary just said. That what? I would say it was what Mary just said. That, I brought you to the bush so you can do this job and you're so saying, I don't want to do it. Uh, how do you explain this part of the Pasuk? Huh? What do you say about that? That's a pasuk. I'm going to give you a solution. <laughs> no, what do you say about this? Well, I know what the next... Well, he'll, he'll speak. He'll speak. No, no, he's already coming. Let's explain it this way. I'll explain it this way. Kodesh Boch got angry at Moshe Rabbeinu because he thought, right, that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, thought that God wanted him to lower his level of, of, of perception and understanding. And therefore he said, as though God needs to be instructed or helped or, or given, given the feeling that Moshe Rabbeinu had. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu what did say to him? It's taken care of. Of course that's the way. Here's Aaron, he's coming. He's already on his way to take that job. It's the, the, the anger towards Moshe Rabbeinu was that Moshe Rabbeinu somehow thought that he had to explain this. He had to make a claim. He had to make a claim to Akadosh Baruch He doesn't want to be the one who speaks because he's incomprehensible. Right? As Akadosh Baruch said, we have Aram who did not go through that experience and was not in that kind of, uh, that kind of state which ultimately enabled Aaron to get away with the Egel HaZahav. Remember the Egel HaZahav? The golden calf. Golden calf. I love that. 
the a golden calf. Who made the golden calf? Who helped make the golden calf? Aaron. So Aaron had a svara. He said, I'll help them. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu will come. Maybe they got a little time. <coughs> so he said, that's a svara that works for the person who was not at the snare. The person who was at the snare, right, he, he thinks in absolute categories. There's absolute goodness, absolute justice, absolute idolatry, and would never be able, would never be able to make that contribution to the, to the fact that B'nai Yisrael somehow were let, let off the hook at the end of, at the end of things. So, is that, another... Is that, is that being at the snap? Is, uh-huh. is that being at the snap or is that just... No, Aaron. Aaron was not at the no, snap. No, what I'm saying is, is that a, a, a factor of the snap itself? The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is of a different type all of the Torah, we see him as someone of absolute justice, absolute uh, uh, and, and good. And, and, uh, are you saying? So yes, yes, yes. You could say it. You could say it. Good. But I'm saying that Vayichar Af Hashem, you would not think, at least I'm not saying, when I learned this parsha when I was a kid, nobody talked about Vayichar Af Hashem. Why was God angry at Moshe? And if you said that God was angry at Moshe, because Moshe. Moshe didn't want to do the job. He didn't want to accept the charge. But I say, I say that can't be. It can't be. Because if, as you say, if he went to the snake, he was given this job, he said, how could he deny the job? But he said, what he's saying was, what Moshe Abedi was saying was that if I'm responsible for getting B'nai Yisrael to someplace, I know that right now I can't do it because they don't understand what I'm saying. That I understand. The next pasuk, pasuk tetvav, v'dibarta elav v'samta tadvarim b'fiv v'anochi ayeh in picha v'empihu v'oreti etchevet asher ta'asud. You know, as the level of Moshe Rabbeinu remains unchanged, Moshe Rabbeinu is still the one who has the message, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who is, who is able to, to bring it to the fore, and he says, Noche yem picha. What does that mean, Noche yem picha? Upihu. Noche yem picha vim pihu. What does he have to be in picha? Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to speak anymore. So what does he have to be? Because the, the message is filtered. You know, it's like almost a Kabbalistic idea. You know, it's filtered through Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu gets it, and he passes it on to, to Aaron. But when he passes it on to Aaron, it's not the same anymore. It becomes something that Paro could understand. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's worship our God and not just your God. Now, can you imagine that? No? You can't imagine it. Here's God, God's summary of the new agreement between Moshe Rabbeinu and, and, and Aaron. Right? There's a new agreement. When it came on the snare, we thought it meant you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to do it yourself. Moshe Rabbeinu correctly said, how am I going to do it? He, wasn't, he didn't say that, that he could not do it or that he would not go. He just said, how could I do it? No one understands what I'm saying. Meaning that no one understands the spiritual 
background to the words that I am saying. Right? And then this Pasuk, Pasuk Ted Zayn, Vidibehu Lechal Ha'am, and he, Aaron, will speak to the nation, and that filtered, filtered material will be comprehensible. Vahayahu he will be your mouthpiece, which means, doesn't mean that Moshe couldn't speak, or that Moshe couldn't act, or that Moshe didn't know what was going on. It just meant that Moshe was too highfalutin for them. There's such a word? Oh my goodness. Uh, he was just too much. He was too much for them. And he says, Listen to that, the last phrase. What do you think? Well, what does that mean? If you don't mind why you ask me. Right, so Rashi, if you just look at the end of the Rashi, you see the end of the Rashi, the last line, the first word. You see that, uh, that Rashi? Rashi says, don't be nervous. It doesn't mean anything bad. <laughs> it's like you say, but the word Elohim means uh, power. Uh, people who are in charge. Sometimes the Dayanim, uh, right, are called Elohim. So Rashi says, Rashi says, it doesn't mean anything. Don't, don't get nervous, Rashi says. It saves us from nervousness. But, if, if you are willing to read that phrase in what strikes you as immediately true, that the relationship between Moshe and Aaron, don't make the mistake of thinking that Moshe had a physical defect and Aaron had a, had a clear kind of speech and therefore... Moshe and Aaron are kind of the same now. That would be a mistake. But it's almost like Moshe is the divine and, and Aaron is the speaker. I remember the first that I heard the story that the first I go to convention in uh, what was the name of that city? Yeah, it doesn't matter. The first I go to convention of the Chavetz Chaim was 1922, I think. But you're not going to look it up, so I'm safe, right? <laughs> you can Google it, yeah. Where was the first I go to? Well, the first I go to convention, of course, the Chavetz Chaim spoke. Now you may not believe this, but in 1922 they didn't have microphones, so of course nobody could nobody could hear what he had to say. So they used to put up. Rameh Shapira from the Yeshiva from Lublin, from Chachmei Lublin, the one who invented the Dafyomi. So Rameh Shapira had a very powerful, clear voice. So he would say it over. The Chavis Chai would speak a sentence, and Rameh Shapira would yell it out so that the people in the in the community would uh, would hear. But nobody ever thought that Rameh Shapira was the Chavis Chai. You know that. That close, they couldn't, they didn't get, right? So, you could be, that's what, that's what this means. It means that Aaron HaKohen 
mimicked the words of Moshe Rabbeinu, but did not absorb the divinity of Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, what he got at the Sneh, that special quality that he had. And therefore, it remains that this doesn't mean, this whole story doesn't mean that somehow there was parity now between Moshe, who had the experience, and Aaron, who didn't have the experience. But rather, the Pesach says, The last Pasuk here, Pasuk Yud Zayin, This is a different topic, right? The last, the last Pasuk is a different topic. A few more psukim here I think that we should look at. The same parak. We skipped a few psukim. Right? He doesn't have any trouble speaking when he has to tell Aaron what he should say. Right? He spoke. Moshe, he Moshe to Aaron. He spoke to Aaron. Now they didn't grow up together. They weren't like two brothers who understood each other because they grew up together. They spent time together. They knew that they were brothers, but they didn't like, really grow up at all in the same place. Right? They went together. We Israel. He spoke all the things because he was the one who B'nai Yisrael should understand and should be able to comprehend. Right, that's the word, the Hebrew word, Amen. They, they, they uh, uh, ensured it, they, they accepted it. And they heard what Aaron said to them. And what was it that Aaron said to them that Moshe could not say to them? Hashem et B'nai Yisrael that God remembered B'nai Yisrael and God saw their poverty and they bowed down and they put their faces down on the ground uh, extreme bowing extreme bowing so that Moshe Aaron HaKohen had a very simple message and that message was Kipakad Hashem at B'nai Yisrael that that time had come, that God noticed them, that God thought about them. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't say. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu said it, it would imply that they would have to achieve some kind of great spiritual heights in order to maintain God's attention. And when Aaron said it, when Aaron said it, it sounded like, well, the time had come. It was time. It was time to leave. It was time to leave. We're not going to make it. But I want to tell you that there's a Rambam. Uh, this is a terrific Rambam. You see the Rambam at the bottom of the page? I'm sorry, we're not going to make it. 
The Rambam says this, Babylonian uh, destroyed the first temple and exiled the Jews. They, they went out to Persia, to Greece, and all the, all the nations. That's called exile, right? You become part of some larger culture. Uh, and had families and children in the land of the non-Jews. And those children um, had confused, they confused their language. And, and the language of each one of these people became kind of mixed up. They, they, I guess the Rabban means that they spoke like uh, like Americans in Israel. You know, they they say words in English. I mean, it's also true that Hebrew has words in it English, but okay, you know, it's a, it's amazingly. I would say that a Hebrew, for whatever reason, is amazingly pure, and mostly Hebrew is spoken with Hebrew words. You know, but there are very few words like telephone. Right? Telephone is a Hebrew word, right? Yeah. I think. Semitic. I think. I think it's a Hebrew word. Semitic. And the attempts to make a Hebrew word for telephone failed. It's just the pe- the people were not willing to do it. So now you have a telephone. You have a telephone, right? It, it's it's not. It's definitely not Hebrew. However, you would define Hebrew. The word telephone doesn't fit in. But most of the words, most of the words that we use in, or that you hear on the radio with the news people, most of those words are Hebrew. And most of the words in Hebrew are used by the residents of the state of Israel, which is quite remarkable. I can't go into it now. He says, Everybody spoke this kind of a mishpach, they used to call it in German, they're like like a little of this and a little of that, you know, like uh, uh, all kinds of words that come from all kinds of different places. Which Hevan Shayam Medaber, Eino Yechol Medaber, called Sorkov Lashon Achat, Ella Beshibush Shenemar Ubenayhem Chatzim Medaber Ashtodit. Those they 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 were not able to speak a language. All the, everything they spoke was a mix up. Was mix up of different languages. Uh, put together, and he says, he says, when somebody decided to daven, the Rabbam says, so you, they weren't able to do it properly. There, was, there are three parts to Shemot Esrei, right? The first part, the second part, the third part. first part is like you speak of God, the second part is you speak about what you need. And the third part is you thank God for the miracles that took place in history over time. So he says, He wasn't able, people were not able to speak clearly in one language when they, when they turned to God. 
וכיוון שראה עזרא בית דינו כך עמדו ותיקנו להם שמונה עשרה ברכות על הסדר. So, so we'll stop, stop in the Rambam. The Rambam says that, that language, even though it seems to us to be strange, at least to me it always seemed to be strange. This is, what, what do you mean you can't speak? What, what, what difference does it make to heaven whether I speak grammatically correct or incorrect or I use word, these kind of words or those kind of words? I mean, what, what, what is it? What is it that, uh, uh, that the Rambam is talking about? What's the Rambam talking about? So what the Rambam is talking about is a Gemara. I don't have it on the sheet, but there's a, it is a, a Gemara in Sota. And the Gemara in Sota talks about the things that you have to do in Hebrew. You know, what, what like Kriyat Shema. You have to do it in Hebrew. I mean, it's all psukim from the Torah. So you should do it. And then you should read the psukim. If you read the psukim from the Torah, you've done Kriyat Shema. And if you don't read the psukim from the Torah, maybe you haven't. So one of the things that is listed in the Mishnah that has to be done in Hebrew is tefillah. Is tefillah. Uh, so so uh, so the the uh, the Gemara says the, the the Mishnah says I'm sorry I'm 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 I misled you. The Mishnah says that tefillah you could say in any language. You don't have to say tefillah in Hebrew. Because in, in the Torah, while there are several, in the Tanakh, there are several tefillot, but they're not tefillot that I have to copy. I don't have to say them. I, I say my own tefillah. That's what the Mishnah says. You could, you could say tefillah, tefillah b'kol So if you have an art scroll sitter, or if you have some sitter in some other language, and you daven in that other language, according to the Mishnah, you're okay. There's nothing wrong because it makes sense, Rashi. It probably comes from the heart. And what does it make? What words you say? Uh, the, the important thing is that in heaven, somehow they're going to check into who's davening. And if you daven well, you'll be, you'll be properly, uh, properly re- uh, rewarded. But the Gemara says, the Gemara in Sota, the Gemara there in Sota, I, have it, uh, I don't have it on the sheet, but I have it on a sheet, which I have in my hand. He says, he says the, the Gemara says that there's, you have to remember Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yochanan, Shomrim She'ela Adam Lovakeshet Tzorecha Belashon Aramit. They say, they say, yeah, it's true, you could ask Bechol Lashon, but you should not use Aramaic. Now, Aramaic was English in those days. Aramaic was a language that was spoken by many people in many countries, not only by Arameans, but it was spoken all over the Middle East, and it was considered the lingua franca of the day. In other words, if two people from two different places in the world wanted to communicate with each other, or do business with each other, they would probably do it in Aramaic. Like Yiddish. What? Like Yiddish. Oh, like, yeah, but for Jews. But today, it's more like English. I think if you're a native English speaker, you expect everybody to be able to speak English. And if you go to Japan and they don't speak to you in English, you're annoyed, right? You would never think for a minute that you should learn Japanese. Or, that's why little, the little countries in Europe, you know, with small populations, like Sweden and Switzerland, where they kind of figured out that no one's going to learn Swedish to, just to go to Sweden. So they all know English. 
and that's how they can, they can attract tourists. So here, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, not Aramaic. He says, okay, not, not, not Aramaic, not Aramaic. That there is, uh, he says the, the reason the Gemara said you shouldn't use Aramaic is because when you daven, you, you need the help of the angels. You need the help of the angels in heaven to get your davening to where it's supposed to be. And the angels don't understand Aramaic. How does he know that the angels don't understand Aramaic? I haven't got a clue. However, I would say, I would say, maybe it means this. Maybe it means this. It's as if you daven in Hebrew. If you daven in Hebrew, the language of creation, then you're, it's an extra push. It's a yes, you need kavanah, you need intention. But, and, and, and intention is really 90% of, of what davening is. Nevertheless, nevertheless, if you daven in Hebrew, and that's what the, 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 the Mishnah passes at La Halacha, that if you daven in Hebrew, you have a value added. What is exactly the, what exactly is the value added? I don't know. I have, I have no idea. So, it turns out, it turns out that, that about this point there is a machloket, another machloket. It turns out, it turns out that if you daven b'tzibur, the, the, the various sources say, that if you daven, if you daven in shul, and you daven b'tzibur, so the tzibur gives you a value added, like the tzibur pumps your davening right up to wherever it's supposed to go to, and then it doesn't matter if you daven in Aramaic. So if you daven in tzibur, you could daven in English, you could daven in French, you could daven in whatever language you want, but because you have the tzibur somehow promoting your davening, right? You, you're with the tzibur, and the tzibur, as you know, as you know, the Gemara thinks that the tzibur is helpful. You, uh, the tzibur creates somehow a more effective davening. Now, I admit that I don't know what that means, but I can say it, right? You can say things, even if you don't know what they mean, as long as you know that you don't know what they mean. But I, I understand that, that there's something special about davening b'tzibur. I don't always get it, personally, but I understand that that's what the Gemara said. The Gemara tells us that, directs us to daven b'tzibur because it's better, it's different. So the way the Gemara says it is, if you're going to daven, if you're going to speak to God in a, a less presentable way, right, Aramaic or English or French or German, if you're going to speak to God in a less appropriate way, because the language is not the language that God used to create the world, so then, <coughs> you need an extra push to get your davening to where it's supposed to be. And that extra push is called sibur. But if you daven by yourself, you daven by yourself, but this is like a, a very important halakha for women who generally daven by themselves every day. Maybe not on Shabbos, but on a daily basis, women usually daven alone. And so the women who daven alone, the Gemara says, you, you should not daven in Aramaic when you daven alone because you need the extra push of the language. You need the extra push of the language. So I think that, that again, that this idea, even though I'm sort of finished, but uh, 
uh, you know, the recordings, they run out, right? They go on forever. <laughs> so, so, like, so, so, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I have to speak in the language that I know. The language which I know the Rebbe is responsive to. And that's why, that's why, Kodesh Baba says to Moshe Rabbeinu, here's Aaron, tell him what he should say. It doesn't say that a Kaddish Baruch Hu told Aaron what he should say. Moshe had to tell. In, in, in other words, the filtering process existed between Moshe and Aaron as well. That Aaron understood what he was able to understand, but he wasn't able to understand what Moshe Rabbeinu understood. So part of the lesson of the shlichut of Moshe Rabbeinu to B'nai Yisrael, even though we always say he was sent to take them out of Egypt. But he was also sent to explain to them that something remarkable was about to happen. Different than freeing the slaves, which is remarkable, but not the remarkable that the Torah is talking about. The remarkable that the Torah is talking about is that they would, at the end, understand Moshe Rabbeinu. And that that process was the process that Moshe Rabbeinu was involved in. And when he said, Arous when he said Arous he meant that there's, I'm set aside, right? There's a sanctity that sets me aside, just as there's a sanctity that sets aside the fruit of the first three years that grow on the tree. There's a sanctity that sets me aside in the hope that people will understand who I am and what I have to say. And that Aaron Akoin speaking on behalf of Moshe Rabbeinu was part of the original idea that HaKadosh Baruch sent Moshe Rabbeinu with to B'nai Yisrael. It couldn't be otherwise. Because if it was otherwise, it would have had to diminish the standing of Moshe Rabbeinu uh, the standing of Moshe Rabbeinu in the face of, of all the people who were there. After the giving of the Torah, was it easier for Moshe to communicate with the people? Yeah, because they knew that it was true. They knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was getting the Torah from heaven. See, that's what Matan Torah was. It, it proved to them, or indicated to them, that, uh, <coughs> that that's what happened. That's how it was. That's what was going on. So Aaron was ruling on his way. Yes. That was always there from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, have a Between good show. Between the seaboard together, today, it's very interesting because we understand that the physical and the spiritual have a parallel, and you're talking about government seaboard because it makes it coherent, and in the parallel of the physical world is the laser. Okay, good. The laser has coherence, and that's why it's so powerful. And we're speaking, so I mean, this reflection between the Physically, spiritual comes across consistently. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, all the best.